will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Haggai 2, 7. And Satan is still contesting this over northern Minnesota. I shocked myself about a, oh, a few months ago, maybe about a year ago, I ended a telephone conversation this way. There's a case in the courts of heaven right now, finances, God, and the devil. God has a score to settle with the devil over finances through my life. I can't die until it's settled. <laughs> Not that I was expecting to die. What I'm saying is it's important to God that it's settled on this earth now, not just later, later in heaven, now on this earth. Because you remember in Deuteronomy 8:18, he gives power to get wealth, and his sovereignty over a region is settled through wealth. His sovereignty over a region is settled with who controls the wealth. I had just read Robert Sadler's book that, um, the, <clears throat> excuse me, The Modern Day Slave, uh, and I had sobbed from the very depths of my being. And as he described the cruel treatment of this uh, slave master over his life, and I afterwards I realized this is what I have felt and many have felt of the cruel slave master over the issue of finances in our life. Well, it was mid-60s, I was newly married, and we got a hold of an Amplified Bible, and we saw in 2 Corinthians where it says, um, you can give and give, and God just loves a cheerful giver, and you can give, and God will give, so you'll always have enough. Oh my goodness, we didn't even know that was in the Bible. And it, we got so happy. My husband was the most joyous giver you've ever known. And so we had scripture for it, you know? And um, we didn't even know about the teaching of prosperity. It hadn't even happened yet. This was the 60s. And, but these words were ours, and this is how we lived. But under such vicious attack, uh, we just thought, well, we must be stupid with finances or something. This is just how it is. But we kept giving. And, you know, I watched my parents love God, give, tithe, um, pray, serve God, and yet shameful, painful financial attack. So now it's the 70s, and we heard the message on prosperity. Oh, good, there's, there's a scriptural foundation for it, you know? And uh, so we had hope. And without it really working in our lives, we had a desire to quit our teaching jobs in East Grand Forks, Minnesota, and move back here. Because my heart was, our heart was back here, where we had seen people struggle so pitifully and still serve God. Um, it, well, it was all the stops of hell pulled out against us. So after years of still giving, it was the only joy we had, really. The scripture describes our situation. This is Isaiah 52. My people in bondage, those who rule over them howl with joy, says the Lord, and my name is continually blasphemed. It was um, the late 90s, and the Lord uh, came to me in a night vision 
and showed me this was bigger than us, this wasn't about us, and this wasn't even about tithing and, and giving and having miracles and seeing great breakthroughs, although that is very important, but this is something even bigger than that. Um, and, but he showed me he would deal with it. He would deal with it and it would be significant and it wouldn't be that I could get my way out, although we kept doing what we did because we loved it. And there were breakthroughs and there were miracles. It's now 206 after a five year battle with cancer, like three plagues against the cattle, everything that could happen, you know, going wrong. My husband died. There were many miracles, debt cancellation, many miracles, and I thank God for it. I sold the cattle and came out of most of the stress, you know, but there was still about a $35,000 uh, tax lien over all my property. And I mean, I didn't have enough money. I just quit paying it. I couldn't even get past the penalty and interest, you know? You know how it is? I just quit. And then every once in a while, they'd sweep my checking account and take everything, then I'd just start over, <laughs> you know, whatever. And uh, Dean's brother is a tax lawyer in Chicago, and he came in, and he was going to try to help me. He said, I can't even help you with this. And so we just forgot about it. And then, um, oh, and then there was a terrible crash up on my field. And so it was snow, you know, and I trudged through the snow. Snow, snow up there to see what in the world this was. And my loafing shed had completely crashed down with the snow. The whole thing crashed down, it, metal, you know, it made a big kaboom. Anyway, something snapped in me. I went in the house and I just, I didn't have any teaching on the courts of heaven. I just raised my hands to heaven and I said, God, bring this up in court today and rule in my favor and wipe out that IRS debt. And then I even forgot all about it and then I just, carried on, you know, I forgot about that. Oh, about two or three months later, the Lord reminded me, why don't you call the IRS and see what you owe? So then I called them and I got this woman and she was real IRS, you know. She said, you don't owe anything. And I said, oh, praise God, praise God, send me some proof of it. And she said, just go to the courthouse. Well, I went to the courthouse and it wasn't there. And then the devil said, I told a friend, see, because I wanted to encourage somebody. I told a friend, and the devil said, okay, you told about it, now it's off. It's not gonna happen. And I said, oh God, and I was just crying, you know, I can't stand this. And um, then he showed me in Isaiah 52, and I'm not gonna take time to read it, but he, he talks about where he rolls up his sleeve and bears his mighty right arm, and the nations, that's the unbelievers, see it, and, and he rescues us. And he said, but this is the part that gave me peace. It's not about me doing it right, telling or not telling. He said, I'm your rear, rear guard. And I knew he would. And then a couple days later, I got a letter in the mail and it said, every requirement has been satisfied. That's all the penalty, interest, everything. Praise God. Yeah, praise God. <laughs> okay. Uh, the next 10 years were uh, better, you know, inheritances. I sold some things, uh, property, I can breathe now, okay? Is this it? I'm saying to God, is, is this the thing you talked about in the night vision, something significant? Is this it? 
But you know, the strongholds over northern Minnesota, the ones that pull the strings in the financial realm, at this point, they're not scared of me. They're not scared of God. They don't even fear God. They're not scared of me. So um, God says, and I said to God, is this it? Hand to mouth, you know? Miracles, breakthroughs, um, living comfortably, you know? Is this it? And he says, no. He says, no. Um, and through prophecy, Dean was at my house one day, and he said, what you've given, even your parents have given, it's going to start coming home. That's what he said. And within the next week, a man called me and said, I want to buy your sand. And I said, I don't have any sand. And he said, yes, you do. $25,000 worth on your field. And I said, okay. And I was happy, you know. And I said to God, is this it? And he says, no. And then Daryl, my husband, my second husband, we had miracles with finances and debt cancellation and whatever, and that was good. And but it, still, no, it's not it. And um, just a few months ago, Dean was at my house and he said a prophecy that he had said before, a few years before, and he said it again, and he said, you're still standing just under the curl of a huge wave, finances and more than you expected because it carries the glory of God with it. So I was considering when I was gonna say something today, should I tell about the court case in heaven right now? God has a score to settle with the devil over finances through my life. Should I tell about that? And um, I heard clearly in my spirit, it's a class action suit. <laughs> it's about all of us. It's about all of us and the years when we've given and tithed and, and, and we've seen breakthroughs and we've thought, this is it. This is wonderful. This is it. And we've been happy. But God said, it's not it yet. Because the powers over northern Minnesota are not shaking because the church controls the wealth. His people control the wealth. I'm talking about dislodging spiritual strongholds and the manifest shift of the financial power structure in the region. Let me get back to Haggai. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will shake and make tremble the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord. And in this place, I will give peace and prosperity, says the Lord of hosts. It's about to get good, better than you expected, and it's all about him. Amen. You need to bring a little bit more energy. <laughs> Hallelujah. And you know, we live in this uh, little bubble of what we can see and feel, and, but God's kingdom rules over all. And so, it's good just to hear some of those things of his ultimate power and glory. Hallelujah. I want you to take a moment and think back to the moment that you encountered Jesus for the first time. 
when he brought new life through his resurrection when you received him. So let's just take a moment and, you know, think about that. Present ourselves in thanksgiving to God. And just lift up a hand and just say, thank you, Lord. For that moment, I thank you that you drew me. I thank you, Lord God, that your spirit took hold. I thank you that you opened up my heart that I could receive you. I thank you, Lord, that that moment of visitation has lasted till today. I thank you, Lord, that it will go on for eternity. I have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. you would turn with me to Judges 4 and verse 4 and I just want to talk about the life of the prophet Deborah today and it's really unique that there's very little said about her. Chapter 4 here deals with her and then in chapter 5 we have a song that she wrote and sang and so that's about it and so let's read this verse 4 together read it out loud with me now Deborah a prophetess the wife of Labadoth judged Israel at that time and so that's all the introduction we have to her we don't know anything about her history we don't know anything about her family and even the phrase, wife of Labadoth, adds a little bit of uncertainty to who she, who she was. Because that can be translated also to be the town that she lived in. It can be her husband, or it could be the town. And so I just wanted to see with, with this introduction that God has the capacity to lift you out of obscurity and to establish you in his eternal purpose. You don't need to have a big, you know, a lot of credits behind your name. You don't need to have a family with influence. You don't need to have a family that has wealth. God knows what he framed you for. He knows what, you, what he called you to. And your life as you seek God and as you present your life to him and you go about the business of becoming all you can be for him and you're looking to be mature in the spirit and in the callings of God, the gift will make a way for itself. Amen. Amen. And God set her in the position of a prophet. In Numbers 12 and verse 6, and he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision and speak to him in a dream. And so when God would establish the prophetic in the Old Testament, there would be supernatural, remarkable visitations 
that would set their life on another path, that would set their spirit in a place before him that was unique. It was more than just the average Israelite. But God says, I will make myself known to him. And so we take it that this happened with Deborah, that God visited her and made himself you know, very strong in her spirit and she knew what the calling was, but yet there's no record of it. And so we walk with God and the unseen realities, the unseen glories, the unseen visitations that we receive from God, no one else may know it. No one else gets a glimpse into it, but they work in our life and they put us in a position where our calling will make a way for itself. Hallelujah. We see the same principle that marks a New Testament prophet and apostle. The apostle Paul said, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? And so God comes and he has remarkable, dynamic visitations for certain people that will set them in the apostolic and the prophetic in our world. We need to pray. We need to believe that our young people will have an open heaven to have these kind of visitations to establish them on a path for the glory of God. Foundational ministries. God has not lost his remedy or his recipe to make an apostle, to make a prophet. And somebody said, hallelujah. And the second thing that we see here about Deborah is she was a lady, but God put her into a prophetic ministry. Let's just read this again in Galatians 3 about the hand of God that comes upon his people. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you have been baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. All of you who were baptized, immersed by the Spirit of God into the body of Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. All of you, the Holy Spirit, when we've been born again, he takes our heart, he takes our spirit, and he immerses us into the body of Jesus Christ, into the spiritual body. And here, Paul says, all of us, when we're, we've been born again, we have clothed ourselves with Christ. And listen to what he adds. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. There is neither male nor female. This is in the spirit before God. These are the hearts that he anoints, that he clothes with himself. There's a, you know, there's a difference between male and female, 
in our society, in our homes, even sometimes in church structure. But when it comes to these kind of dynamic anointings, God chooses both male and female. Amen. Amen. And you know, in northern Minnesota, it seems like there's been a, a time when, and it probably still is in a lot of places, that women weren't allowed to take this position. But just think of what that does. It shuts down the ability of God to work in his body. You know, if, God, if the head of the church has anointed somebody as a prophet or an apostle, we have no right to say, nope. That's religion. Amen. And in this area, you know, if, you're, if, if there's a woman that God has anointed, they, you know, she has or they have the same responsibility as a man to walk in integrity, to walk in love, to serve under the grace of God. We're all, if we're all the same, we have all the same responsibility. We need to guard our words. We need to strive to speak words that edify, built up, and and are done in love. Let me just read a paragraph I have here. In in the area of gifts and callings, faith, grace, and love, there is no male or female. In society and family structure, there there are different functions. But in the realm of the spirit, God's anointing finds its place upon us all. And so we need to open up our heart. You know, if somebody is called into these kind of positions by the head of the church, and we say, nope, can't happen. Well, if God is speaking through them, we can't hear it. We may say, well, you know, yeah, they have a good word or whatever. But we miss the authority of it. Amen. Listen to what Peter said in the Message Bible in chapter 3, verse 7. He says, the same goes for you husbands. Be good husbands to your wives. And everybody said, Amen. Honor them. Delight in them. As women, they lack some of your advantages you know, physical strength or maybe how society presents things to them. But in the new life of God's grace, you're equals. In the new life of God's grace, you're equals. Treat your wives then as equals so that your prayers don't run aground. This honors God. 
when we can see what he has done in every member of the body of Christ. New life, transforming life, anointing. And somehow, Deborah was anointed by God, and we don't know how it all happened and worked out in her life. But the people recognized it. The commander of the army recognized it, and she gave him a word, and he said, well, okay, I'll go and I'll obey what you say if you go with me. So there was an honoring of that gift. In verse 5 of Judges 4, she sat under the palm tree of Deborah. So she had a tree named after her. Hallelujah. Between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came up to her for judgment. And so she was a judge over the whole nation. But I take it you know, I, I don't think she just sent, put a blanket down and just kind of sat on the ground and people came up to her. I, I, I take it she took the pattern that Moses set forth of judging. And he chose men out of all of Israel and made them heads over people, leaders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And they judged the people at all times, the difficult dispute they would bring to Moses. But every minor dispute, they themselves would judge. So I take it that was kind of the administrative framework that she was working with. But yet, it's, you know, how, how did the Israelites come to honor and respect her to, to judge the whole nation? Part of her assignment as a judge for the people was to administrate her call. God gives us wisdom. That is part of our call. It will, re, it will be unique to us. We'll, look, we'll not look exactly like others' administrations, but then we equip others to serve with us. And so she had that gift to organize, to administrate. And that anointing that was in her, the call of God that was in her, made a way for her. How did she rise up? She had the call. Listen to what Miles Monroe says. How is the fulfillment of vision meant to work in practical terms? Proverbs 18, 16 is a powerful statement that reveals the answer. A man's gift makes a way for him. What you were designed to be known for is your gift. A man's gift makes a way for him. And it says that he will stand before kings. But I think what we would take from that is that we will stand before people that have the power to open the doors for our ministry to go forward. 
God, he goes on to say, God has put a gift or talent in every person that the world will make room for. Not just the church world, the world. Hallelujah. As we give ourselves to the call of God, as we refine our gift, as we mature in our gift, we refine our relationship with God and grow in his authority. What we're designed to do will just make a way. God, Jesus opens doors that no one can shut, but many times those doors come through the calling of God that is on our life. What he's deposited within us. Amen. It is this gift that will enable you to fulfill your vision. It will make a way for you in life. It is in exercising this gift that you will find real fulfillment, purpose, and contentment in your work. And then he says, it is interesting to note that the Bible does not say that a man's education makes a room for him, but that his gift does. This is supernatural. I mean, education is great, you know, learn how to do things. But yet, this is a supernatural power that God invests in us. And I've shared it before, but I, you know, I, in the 70s, I, I just felt the call to preach. And I wasn't really hooked up with any association Later on, I joined the assemblies, and even there, I, I recognized that if you weren't part of the historical club, you had very few opportunities. They'd let you in, but you didn't have the connection. But God's call makes a way. What did Jesus say about the one parable? He came and he found people and they, they found them not working in the middle of the day. And he says, what, what's going on here? He says, well, no one has hired us. <laughs> well, you don't need somebody to hire you. Just get out there and do it. Do what's in your heart. Just do what's in your heart. And I just started preaching all over the place, nine services a week. I didn't ask anybody if it was okay. <laughs> I didn't even really think about it. It was just kind of the natural, you know. So if we just wait for someone else to recognize our call, that's not always the answer. Get out there and do it. Just tell somebody, just do it. <laughs> What was the company that had that? Was it Nike or? Just do it. <laughs> Wouldn't it be a sad thing to wait till the end of our life and waiting to do what God has really called us to do? Hallelujah. We love you, Lord. 
A gift will make a way. God's hand was on Deborah all the way through preparing her for standing where she was to stand in the nation. And she had the, evidently the courage and the wisdom just to step it out and the doors just opened before her. This is how I see it. I don't see that the Pharisees took a vote or anything. When John the Baptist showed up, he just started preaching in the wilderness and all the people came to him. Jesus started preaching and the multitudes flocked to him. Sometimes we just need that fresh voice that doesn't have the okay from the religious establishment. Amen. <laughs> that fresh voice that has a, 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 that unique timber of the call of God on it. You can do it. And we hook up where you can, you know, serve where you can, be involved where you can. But we do not just put our, our life in the hands of men without surrendering to God first. We know this verse, Romans eleven twenty nine, where the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Hallelujah. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. Do you see a man diligent and skillful in his business? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. That gift will lead you to the very place of influence that God has designed for you. But he says, diligent and skillful. First, we have to have the natural inclination from God. We've got that natural desire, that natural design. I remember in high school, this one fellow that we did not view as being excellent scholastically, so I mean he was right with me in that. <laughs> but we were in shop class together and, and we were doing a quarter on drafting where you, you know, take the big, you know, the easel and all that and rulers and compasses and we had, to, we had to draw the room that we were sitting in in proportion, you know, so it had the perspective on it. And mine looked like perspective was everything was just flat. <laughs> but I looked at his and I said, did you do this? It was like professional quality. I had no idea. He spent his life after that being a draftsman. He had the natural inclination. He gave his heart to the Lord too and he wound up going on a lot of mission trips. Praise God. And so God equips us 
with what it is that we, what we need in the natural ability. What, what do you love to do? What, where is your heart being drawn? And then you add to this diligence, you add to this patience and effort in developing this gift. We need to be humble. We submit to those that God brings into your path and allow them to mentor, to allow God to mentor you through them. And so you submit to those that God brings into your path. It might be a short time, it may be short visitations, and I've shared it, but it was such an important part of my life that I was pastoring and I had uh, Verlin Nelson, Assembly of God minister, come into every church where I was. And he would always bring at least one or two dynamic supernatural miracles. A lot of people healed and things, good teaching, but there was always at least one or two dynamic miracles. And I would get around him and when the word of knowledge would come, when the flow of the spirit would come, when the flow of the power would come, I could see it. That's what you're hooking up to. That's a mentoring. I had the natural capacity or the spiritual capacity to see it but yet he brought it out in a way as I just was near him where I could catch it. And he would come once a year so it wasn't like we had no other contact with him. But dynamic in affecting me. Humble yourself before the people of God. Humble yourself. Allow what they have within them to mentor you. Amen. Let's look around today. These are some of the people that God is using. Exclamation point. These are some of the people that God is using to mentor your life. their character, their love, their commitment. There's just something that is infused into our heart from one another. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, the Weist translation, finally, brethren, be rejoicing. See to it that you are being spiritually equipped and adjusted. See to it that you are being spiritually equipped and adjusted. That, that happens as we rub shoulders together here, as we pray together, as we seek God together, as we worship together. Amen. We put ourselves in the right position to be trained and equipped. We allow God by his spirit to do his perfecting work. And that's amazing. Every one of us affects the other one. It's not just somebody that carries the same calling. But listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4. Rather, let your lives lovingly express truth in all things. 
speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly. Enfolded in love, let us grow up in every way and in all things into him who is the head, even Christ the Messiah, the anointed one. For because of him, the whole body, the church, and all its various parts, closely joined and firmly knit together by the joints and ligaments with which it is supplied, when each part with power adapted to its need is working properly in all its functions, grows to full maturity, building itself up in love. And that's kind of a large thought, but I encourage you to go back and read that in the Amplified. But we all are affecting each other. We're all causing each other to be come to maturity in our place in the body. We grow to full maturity as we build, as the church is building itself up in love. We look back over some people in the past history of our experience in church life, and they have failed to do things in love. They have failed to do this love building and have caused harm in the body of Christ. Well, we need to forgive them, release them, bless them. But we must not allow them to knock us off our track to keep us from our positioning or our pursuing the high call of God. We must not allow them to knock us off the track that God has for us. He has planted us here for a reason. He has surrounded us with great loving people. And we may not, they may not just tell us things that absolutely fit in with our calling, but their heart of love, their heart of service, their, their, their commitment to God and commitment to the body will infuse some wonderful things into our spirit. We all affect each other. Let me just read a couple more things I have here about Deborah. We assume she was married with children, wife, mother, judge, and prophet. I take it she had to do some multitasking. <laughs> but that calling fit right into it all. Amen. And God granted her wisdom and grace. We can do what God calls us to do. Anointing equips us to order our lives by his grace. The Apostle Paul said, I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything and equal to everything through him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Passion Translation I find the strength of God's explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty. He's right there with us in all the varied things of life and all the varied places that we have to daily by, day by day to fit into. His explosive power infuses my life to 
so I can conquer every difficulty. I am mindful of a poem by Edwin Markham. And John Osteen would quote this little poem so many times in his messages, and it just kind of always meant something to me, and I've quoted it a few times, I'm sure. And it says, Ah, great it is to believe the dream as we stand in youth by life's starry stream. But a greater thing it is to fight life through and say at the end, the dream is true. This is our path. God has infused life, direction, vision into your heart. We need to run it out. We need to keep our eyes on the call. Keep our eyes on Jesus. And at the end, we can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your great hand on all of our life. I thank you for Deborah and what she exhibited. Have you responded to his call? I just want to give you an opportunity, if you're here or you're watching online, he who believes in Jesus will never be disappointed. When you set your heart upon Jesus and give him everything, God says you will never be disappointed with him, with his call, with his purpose. The world will try to beat you up, but you'll never be disappointed. He is faithful. He is true. He is loving. If you've not made that commitment to him, or you just feel the Lord is calling you to give up a deeper place in your life, to surrender it to him, today is the day. Today is the day. Father, I give it all up to you. Just say that right where you are. I give it all up to you. I welcome Jesus to captivate my heart. Thank you for your love for me. So, Father, we thank you for these basic principles that you've laid down. And I thank you, Lord, that we will walk them out and we will bear fruit for eternity. For Jesus' sake. And in his name, amen. Amen. So we have a meal after the service, so let's enjoy fellowship together. God bless you.